Hello and welcome to this edition of Café Klingendal, the podcast series of the Klingendal Institute. My name is Rem Korteweg, Senior Research Fellow at the Klingendal Institute, and I'm joined today by two of my colleagues from the Klingendal Academy, Maike Aans and Paul Hendricks, because what we're going to do today is slightly different from the other podcasts that we've recorded so far. We want to look at one of the important skills or techniques that are required to get your way in diplomacy and the impact of cultural or cultural misunderstandings in not getting your way in diplomacy. Now, why is this relevant? First of all, we are at the dawn of a new European Commission, a new team, and what we see is that politics in Europe and diplomacy in Europe is getting new jolts of energy. Um, secondly, recently the Klingendal Institute published a report about the way in which the Dutch are perceived in Brussels. That report was entitled, and I paraphrase because it was in Dutch, The Netherlands is effective but without empathy. In other words, the Dutch are considered to be quite rude and direct, but rather effective, and you can oppose that to the way or some of the stereotypes we have regarding other countries in Europe. For instance, that the French can be somewhat long-winded and indirect in their diplomacy, or that the Germans can be rather rigid. Um, now, what does that do? What does that do to our politics, and how do leadership styles, sort of Angela Merkel versus Mark Rutte versus Emmanuel Macron, how, how do their different styles of leadership matter in their ability to promote their national interests or to get their way in European politics? So, in short, how does culture or cultural misunderstandings play out in diplomacy? Maika, how do you see this role of cultural sensitivity in the diplomatic sphere? I believe that culture can have an enormous impact on how we act, behave and communicate. So it's definitely on the interpersonal level in interactions that you have in diplomacy uh, with people from different cultural backgrounds. Culture is something that has an influence, um, but oftentimes we are not aware of that influence. Um, and oftentimes we are not aware of the influence culture has on the conversation itself. Um, so that's where miscommunication can take place. But is this all about stereotypes? So what I described, that the Dutch are considered to be direct or, or, or somewhat abrasive? What, 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 are we, what are we talking about here? Stereotypes definitely uh, play a big part in these pitfalls, so in these miscommunications. Um, and yes, stereotypes exist and we need them. We need them to understand the world around us. So everybody stereotypes, whether we want to or not. But once you become aware of the stereotypes that you have, you can deal with them. And are there other pitfalls that we should be aware of? Or how do we approach the topic in terms of building cultural understanding? Well, I mean, it's good perhaps to make a distinction between between stereotypes on the one hand and generalizations on the on the other. So you mentioned earlier this notion that uh, the Dutch tend to be direct and the French are a bit more long-winded, etc. And so while it is good to recognize that there's a risk in stereotyping, they are not always necessarily untrue, right? So they can happen to coincide with, let's say, general uh, uh, behavioral preferences that characterize certain regional cultures. Um, so research, for example, does show that on average, the Dutch 
uh, tend to communicate what is called low contextually. So meaning directly, explicitly, uh, we say what we mean, which uh, can be effective, but indeed underplays the role that uh, the relationship uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, takes in. So you're talking about low, the Dutch are known oh, as being low right. contextual communicators. Yeah. Uh, and so the opposite of that, high contextual communication, is to do with this notion that it not only matters what you say, but also how you say it, and more importantly, what is left unsaid. Um, and so the, the notion of knowing how to read between the lines in other cultures tends to be uh, highly valued. Um, uh, one of those cultures being the French. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that all individuals from French culture, such as, for example, uh, Macron, would adhere to that particular communicative style. Uh, but it, it does tell you something about the way that people are conditioned, mm. the environment in which they function. Right. But how does this then work out in the reality of, of diplomacy? So why does this matter? I mean, does this mean that, for instance, the Dutch should be more aware of the way that the French communicate and vice versa? Or shouldn't we simply accept that we are all different in the, the style that we communicate? Well, I think the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. So yes, uh, it is good to be aware of your own communicative preferences, and it's good to be aware of how they might possibly contrast those of others. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you should strive towards mm. equalizing all sorts of communication styles. No, because then everything would get very boring. Right. Right? Exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it doesn't necessarily mean that in every context or in every situation you should adapt to the conversational style of the person you're speaking with, but becoming aware might help you in avoiding those miscommunication because oftentimes mm. we are not aware that we're having a miscommunication and it is only clear to the other party. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you become aware of those different communication styles, you become aware of the miscommunications that might occur. So let's try to make this a little bit more concrete, a little mm -hmm. bit more tangible. So what are examples where you see this play out very clearly, mm -hmm. both perhaps effectively and less so? Right. So, for example, you might recall several years ago when Obama was still president of the United States of America and he was in a bilateral meeting with uh, the emperor of Japan and upon greeting him, he, he bowed towards him. Mm -hmm. And this raised a lot of, let's say, eyebrows in, with some political commentators in the US, assuming that it showed some type of submission. Mm -hmm. And so that's a clear example of an assumption made about apparent behavior that does not necessarily coincide with the intentions that are the basis for that right. behavior. Right, right, because I started off talking about Europe and I think there are cultural differences in, in, in European leadership styles or cultural styles. Right. But perhaps the clearest is between, say, Western cultures and Asian cultures. I wouldn't or say that. No? no. People often think that because we are geographically close to each other, then our cultures must be very much alike. Um, but that's not necessarily the case, because even within the European Union or within Europe, you have huge cultural differences. Mm -hmm. For example, with this high contextuality versus low contextuality, um, but also in hierarchy and also in other dimensions of mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. Sp speaking of hierarchy, just to give you an example, you might um, recall uh, this incident that took place several months ago 
where I think it was on July 14th, the celebration of, of July 14th in, in France, uh, Macron was uh, addressed by a teenager as Manu. Yeah. How are you doing, Manu? About which he made a big deal of it, right? Yeah. He, he started an argument. He said, you will address me as president, specifically on this day, respect the office. And once you have uh, achieved a diploma, mm. etc., then you might mm. uh, call me however you like. Whereas somebody like Prime Minister Rutte, around that same time, uh, went viral in an incident where he spilled a cup of coffee on the way to parliament and then started mopping up his own mess, basically. Yeah. And so that's very indicative, I would say, of uh, how um, these two individuals, but also mm. uh, by extension, these two cultures uh, relate to the concept of hierarchy or, or power. Yeah. Right. So to what extent do we feel comfortable in being perceived in a great power distance mm. between ourselves and, for example, our constituency. So it's interesting. We keep coming back to the examples between the Netherlands and, and France, and France. The differences. At the same time, diplomatically, there is a, a strong push to intensify relations mm -hmm. between the Netherlands and France. This also makes sense, given where Europe is heading. What kind of tips and tricks or what kind of pieces of advice can you give for say Dutch policymakers or French policymakers to facilitate that intercultural dialogue? Mm. Well, for the Dutch in general, yeah. what can mm. you do to, mm. let's say, navigate between different cultures? The first one, I would say, be aware of those pitfalls. So be aware of the stereotypes that you might have about other cultures because they don't necessarily match average realities. Secondly, I would say, have some knowledge about different cultures and then we talk about knowledge in two levels so we have the uh, surface culture and then the deep culture and the mm. surface culture is everything that you can see with your bare eyes so mm. for instance let's say I have to go for a meeting in Italy mm. and then I can prepare and I know okay they might have different way of clothing they have different things that they eat they have a different language and that's all in the surface culture so that's things that we can see with our bare eyes the and the obvious mm. it's easy to prepare for but what is in the deep culture are the motives and the underlying mm. beliefs norms and values in order to prepare for those you have to put in a little bit more effort than just Googling what is common in that specific culture. Um, so you have to look for the underlying motives and values. And this is something that we address in our trainings. What is, for instance, the notion of hierarchy in that specific culture? Mm -hmm. Or is the common cultural preference to have high contextual communication? Um, is it a more individualistic or a more collectivistic culture? I think there's one more thing that's very important, and that's the general skill of navigating between those cultures. Um, so, for instance, active listening. Um, for instance, being able to read contextual cues. And with contextual cues, we mean, what does it mean when somebody looks you in the eye when you have eye contact? Is that seen as a sign of respect or is that seen as... Defiance. Defiance. What does somebody's body language tell me? And being able to read all of those cues uh, will help you to understand better mm -hmm. what people mean. So not necessarily preparing for one specific culture, but being able to navigate between those different cultures. Right. So one example that really pops to mind, and we can't have a podcast about intercultural communication without talking about Donald Trump. 
You mentioned Paul earlier, President Obama. Mm. I think we can agree that Barack Obama was quite sensitive to mm-hmm. how he comes across and, and sort of interculturally aware. Mm-hmm. You might argue that Donald Trump is the exact opposite. Mike, you talk about sort of body language. I mean, what can you say about Donald Trump's approach to this field? Well, I would say it is indeed uh, rather opposite uh, to to the example that was shown by Obama. Uh, the question is, to what extent is it willful? Deliberate. Yeah, to what extent is it deliberate, indeed. But in terms of how to describe it, as the Dutch would say, uh, uh, an elephant in a, in a room filled with porcelain. Yeah, a bull in a china shop. Yeah, it's very interesting, this comparison between Donald Trump and, and Barack Obama. But as individuals... Are we either born as a Barack Obama who is interculturally aware or as a Donald Trump? Or is this something you can learn? It is definitely something that you can learn. So by definition, being interculturally competent is a skill and skills is something that you can improve on. So definitely you are not either born as a Trump or an Obama because you can improve and you can learn and you can train these intercultural competences. Mm-hmm. I say it's undoubtedly true that some individuals are uh, intuitively more aware and astute towards, uh, let's say, intercultural sensitivity. But as Mike pointed out, indeed, they're trainable skills, right? So you can really um, develop along a, a path of development to, towards becoming more interculturally effective. And so one of the pitfalls that is very common amongst people is this notion of ethnocentrism, this idea that your own culture and your conditioning is the norm against which other cultural conditionings are referenced. And so it's the positive norm against the negative deviation. And the training really helps to raise that awareness of, no, they're actually parallelly existing cultural conditionings, and they all have their own merit within their own context. Right. So in the case of the Dutch, uh, us... Dutchies sort of saying, well, isn't it a great thing that we're so direct? And shouldn't, shouldn't right. other people recognize that right. that's actually really, really right. helpful? So we, we have yeah, positive uh, connotation towards direct communication, right? We feel it's effective, authentic, etc. Whereas to many other people around the world, it really matters what you're talking about and who you're speaking to. Right. I think it's a clear example. We associate directness often with transparency, being honest, being efficient, um, whereas as the research showed, we are seen as being rude by others. Um, So there is a clear difference in how you perceive what is the best form of communication. Mm. Exactly. Um, One more thing about Trump, and this is my final question, is that Trump doesn't seem to care Mm. about how he comes across. Mm. And And this gets to the point of to what extent is power politics and the use of hard power, whether economic or threats of the use mm-hmm. of force or just and generally having an abrasive style of, of communicating, to what extent is intercultural sensitivity a victim of that? In other words, what's more important? Is it more important if you're a small country to be sensitive about intercultural communication mm-hmm. and that it doesn't really matter for a big, great power like the United States or perhaps mm-hmm. Russia or China to mm-hmm. be interculturally mm-hmm. aware? Well, I, I would say that intercultural sensitivity indeed is is really a, an instrument to as effectively as possible represent your interest. And in this case uh, of national leaders to represent national interest. And so indeed for, let's say, 
smaller countries or countries that play, let's say, a more modest role in the international arena, for them it is especially crucial to to invest in this type of uh, skill and awareness. Mm -hmm. um, and you could argue that regional or, or global power players tend to get away more easily without uh, doing so, whether uh, being aware of that or not. Um, however, that doesn't mean that they would probably even be more effective if they did, yeah. right? So if we, if we look at, uh, for example, Trump policies and we objectively assess the, the success or the failure of those, I think it's worth a hypothesis to, to say, how would they have turned out yeah. if his, his approach would have been much more interculturally sensitive? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with you. And culture is always changing. So by mm. definition, it is fluid. So mm. what was the Dutch culture in the 1950s is not what it is now. And this is the same all around the world. Right. And also power shifts. So who is a big player right now uh, that might change over time? That doesn't happen overnight, but it might change. Um, and so, yes, maybe in that instant, it is not necessarily for the big powers the most important to become culturally sensitive because you have the power and other countries might want something from you. However, you always have to keep in mind is what they call a net negotiation theory, the shadow of the future. Yes. So what happens mm. in five to ten years? Mm. Um, and that is something that is often for mm -hmm. forgotten. So we go for the quick wins and we go for the short-term successes, mm. but then we forget about what happens in 10 years or in 20 years. And um, what you're saying is that the other side remembers. The yeah. other side remembers how they've been approached and that it can backfire. Yeah. Um, in exactly. other words, it's very much focused on the short term. If you want to get your way, you can be abrasive or, or not interculturally yeah. sensitive. But if you invest more in the longer term, it makes sense to do so. And if I can just summarize what you're saying is that it, it's, it's a definite something you need to do if you're a smaller country. But even great powers would be well advised to be interculturally sensitive because it helps in the longer term. Exactly. And with that, I want to thank you for this conversation. I think we've touched on a really interesting topic. If you want to know more about what the Klingendal Academy does in terms of trainings about, for instance, intercultural communication, please visit our website, www.klingendal.org. And of course, as you know, if you are interested in um, subscribing to our Café Klingendal podcast series, also please revert to our website and our newsletter. Thank you very much. Thank you.